How's everyone feeling today? Or tonight, I should say. That's good. We're going to look into the scriptures today. I'm excited to look into the scriptures because every time you look into the Bible, it's almost like if you let the Bible speak to you rather than you speak to the Bible, every time you open it, it's like something new. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's like you could read one verse one week and you can read the same verse the next week. And it's like, I swear I read this and this is totally different. So I think we're going to read some familiar scriptures that I think we've read before. But I want you again to let the scriptures speak instead of us give the scripture its own definition. Are we ready to do that tonight? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can open up the scriptures and just see what you want to say. So I pray that as we um, skip from scripture to scripture and uh, if you lead, we'll sit on the scripture. But ultimately, we want to hear you speak um, and just open our ears to listen. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week... Um, those of you who are here, we, we talked about a topic and we asked the question, what is the primary purpose of a per- person's life? And we talked about how a lot of people claim to say we have the answer. Schools of thought say we have figured it out. We have the silver bullet, so to speak. And we said, well, hey, the scripture has its own claim And actually, this is the claim that us as believers, we should stand by. And according to the scriptures, the primary purpose of a person's life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we can't stop there. That question beckons us to another question. What is the statute God has given us to help us glorify and enjoy him. You see, in our world, as we talked about last week, there's so many ideas on how to live. And we talked about some say our purpose is to evolve and to get better every day. Some say that life has no meaning. So you can do what you want. Some say that This life is about maximizing your pleasure and minimizing pain. Do what feels good and avoid the negativity. And some say that our purpose is to be productive members of society, create something, and do something. So, as we talked about this week, and we'll, we'll say it again, once you ask the question, why, how do we know What they say is true. It all falls apart. Every single one of these things that we I have just listed here. um, And maybe some of us now or at a time believed in. When you actually interrogate it. Every single one of these things have been proven to be subjective to culture, physical ability, uh, physical location. And financial freedom. And all of these things inevitably leave you empty because of these uh, limitations. 
So in order for us to find a why that is true, regardless of culture, physical ability, physical location, and, so, and financial freedom, it must always be true regardless of any limitation. Everybody tracking? Yeah. Okay, good. So for us as believers, what do we believe is the statute, the truth, that God has given us to help us, given us to help us enjoy him and glorify him? According to the scriptures, I'll say again, the word of God contained in the Old and New Testaments is the only statute that can guide us in glorifying and enjoying him. But here's the deadly question. Why? Many, questions, many Christians can't even answer that question. How do we know it's the word of God? Can we explain it? Many of us just believe because we should just believe. And I'm telling you, in this day and age, we really have to do what the apostles told us to do. That you have to be ready. And I'm talking about really ready. To be able to give evidence. To give an apology or apologia. To defend your faith when someone asks of you why. In our world today, a lot of people are trying to gird up their why. People that we say is false, they have a why. Is it a good why? No, but they have one. So, exploring this question, I'm asking the Bible, I'm interrogating the Bible, I'm going to let the Bible speak back to us, and in all of these, I guess this conversation with the scriptures, I want you guys to download, if you have, maybe you have a phone, take notes in your phone if you want, but I want us to understand if we're going to say that the word of God contained in the Old and New Testaments is the only, not one of many, the only statute that can guide us in glorifying and enjoying God, we need to answer the question, why? So let's start with the first question. How do we know that the scriptures are truly the word of God? Well, I'm not going to take time to give extra biblical evidence of the validity of the scriptures. That's something you can do on your own time. But I want to give what the Bible tells of itself of what it actually is. So, one of the reasons we would say that the Holy Scriptures is the Word of God is because it's perfect. Now, in our very scientific way of thinking in, here in the West, we tend to think perfect as in its observable um, physical attributes like... Um, is the period in the right place? 
Is the comma in the right place? Um, is the font appropriate? Very surface things that realistically the Bible has never claimed. We have tons of manuscripts. And we do have what some would call scribal errors. Now, someone with a scientific mind would say, well, the Bible has error. The Bible never claimed to be a scientific book. But what it claimed to be is perfect. And why is it claimed to be perfect? Is because it matches reality in all places, all people, in all time. So, when we read the scriptures, anywhere on this planet can read the scriptures and look up at society and see a match. Do you understand? That's what it means for the word of God to be perfect. There's many ideologies out there, as we said. All of them do not match reality. They don't. Here's a bit of an apologetics here. If someone's willing to say... Life has no meaning. We can just do what we want to do. Well, let's look at reality. Human beings live their lives like there's a meaning. So you're either going to have to be consistent or happy. And most of us want to be happy. Usually, if we're going to be consistent with the ideology of life has no meaning, then we're going to stumble down this path of, okay, well, if life has no meaning, then things have no meaning and people have no meaning. So is rape okay? Is killing okay? It has no meaning. It doesn't matter what we do. But the world we live in tells us different. Do you guys understand? I'm trying to build the picture here. So the word of God is saying we actually have the silver bullet, but when you read the scriptures, it's going to match reality. Point one, the scriptures say that every human being is made in what the ancients would call the imago Dei, which means the image of God. If you read Genesis chapter one, You'll see it. Human beings are made in the image of God. What does that say? On some level, we have value. If we are made to image, and the whole idea is like a mirror, to literally image the creator of the universe, what is implied is every single human being has value. Let's make it even more clear. If there is a being that has human day, human DNA, sorry, they image God. So that means someone that is the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, uh, company or a child with malaria in the continent of Africa, both have the same amount of value, which is invaluable. You can't put a number on it because they both image God. If we're going to make, so 
I, I really, I, I'm taking my time because I want you guys to see the level of claim. Because every human being actually believes that. Why protest? Why say rights, human rights, basic rights? Every human has, every human has the right to X, Y, and Z. The whole idea that any human being would think that is some level correct, some level is correct, is because every human being has some kind of value that, value that you can't put a number on it. And once you put a number on it, what do we say? We call it injustice. I'm moving to point two. It's a pretty cool verse here, Proverbs 2, 22.2. I'm just going to quote it. The rich and poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. It's radically different than our time when you're seen as what you can contribute to our society. We grasp for the powerful positions. The scripture actually says, no matter what you do grasp or what you have the ability to grasp or your inability to grasp, you all image the creator. What does that mean? That puts every single human being, no matter the ability, no matter the disability, no matter where you're from on this planet, of immeasurable value. That images reality. We're going to go to Romans 1 here. I'm going to sit on Romans 1. Romans 1, we can start at 18. And I think this scripture is amazing, and it's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, is because it builds on this whole idea that we're made in the image of God, and on some level, everything that we see points towards a creator. Including human beings, but also nature. And that natural revelation, which is a theological idea, which is what you see in nature reveals something about God, is enough for the people called Imago Dei, us, to be able to realize there is a being that we are imaging that we need to acknowledge. Let's read it here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We started with who human beings are. I acknowledge what nature is. True. But what does this verse is saying? This verse is saying that there is a suppression of truth that is happening. And because that suppression of the truth is happening, it calls down what 
Paul says, depending on your translation, the wrath of God. The next verse literally says what I'm saying. Because that which is known about God is evident, obvious within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what had been made so that they are without excuse. Yeah, we'll keep reading. It's good. For even though they knew God. Let's pause there. The scriptures is saying that the people that are committing these godless, unrighteous acts know God. Again, we don't read the scripture's meaning. We're just letting it talk to us. On some level, there's a suppression happening because there's a truth to be suppressed. And then there's a God to be acknowledged, which is obvious. And it's saying that they knew God. But what does the Bible say next? They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. I like this translation. It says speculation. Maybe your translation might say thoughts. Their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Look down at the scripture. Look up at society. I'll say it one more time. Look down at the scripture. Look up at society. Would we say so far... Our society mirrors what this Bible verse is saying. Professing to be wise. There's a lot of people claim to be smart these days. Gurus, experts, doctors from universities we have never heard of. But on some sort of level, we're There's an obvious truth that's there, but human beings have decided we don't want it. And the way they do that is suppressing it in unrighteousness, which makes them fools. The scripture is assuming something here. It's telling us a story as we read. The person that suppresses the truth becomes a fool. Because it's obvious. 
We don't need to look anywhere else. God created the planet in a way so it's obvious that the next step is to worship him. He built the program for it to do that. I think a lot of times in our society, as Christians too, we are very guilty of this, that we try to add external things to the scriptures. People like to say Jesus and. When there's an issue happening in our world, many times we try to reconcile what is happening in the culture and our Bible seems to be so harsh. Is there a way we can blend it to make it more palatable? The scripture is saying truth itself is a full course meal. You actually don't need more salt. You don't need more garlic powder. It's full. It's done. It's complete. We don't need to add anything to it. And what ends up happening, we actually start doing the same thing that the scriptures are accusing unbelievers to do. We start suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. When the Bible says unrighteousness, forgive me, I'm sitting here because I feel like we should. When the Bible says unrighteousness, I think sometimes we, we churchify it. Like, what is appropriate church behavior? And that would equate to righteousness. Righteousness in the biblical mind is actually more aligned with kind of what we talked about. Orthopraxy. What is the correct way of living? What is the just way of living? The straight way of living. In the Bible's mind, there is a solid line. And any level of deviance is what they would call sin. Now, little word study here. Sin, again, in the biblical mind, because we're letting the Bible talk to us. They use it in the way when slingers and archers would miss a target. They would call it sin. If you actually did archery old enough, and in some camps they still call it sin. You missed the mark. Again, any degree. So us Christians can be guilty of the same thing. Because there is the truth. And it should not be suppressed. But we have chosen to make the scriptures more palatable. Easier to walk. So because this narrow path is narrow, we want to make it easier to walk by making it sin. Changing its direction. Decorrecting its course. Is everybody tracking? I want to make sure I go slow because when I hit that bump, I want to make sure that no one falls off the bus. Okay? 
they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for image in the form of corruptible man and the birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Yes, there's some people in our world that still do this today. But I think this actually says something grander. Instead of acknowledging this God that we cannot control, instead of worshiping this God that we have no control over, we would rather cut down wood, melt metal, and form something that we actually have dominion over. Westernized mind. Some of y'all aren't cutting down trees and making idols. But how much things do we live according to in our lives that are man-made that we know we can manipulate to suit our own purposes? It got quiet in here. We do that all the time. We do it with our health. We do it with the scriptures. We do it with the scriptures. We do it with the scriptures all the time. We read a hard verse and we're willing to blink once and hope it disappears from our memory and we keep reading. We're okay with the easy verses that we can tweet or I don't know what social media you guys use. But when we hit hard verses that totally push back against our human natural jerk reaction, we're willing to delete it from our memory, so to speak. Old and New Testament teaches us how to glorify and enjoy God. There's some believers... And I'm saying these things because I think sometimes when we're in our boxes, we actually do not know what's happening out there. So I'm hoping that I can open the door. There's some Christians that believe that the God of the New Testament is different than the God of the old. Some people are willing to chop the Bible in half because there's difficult things in the Old Testament that we, in this time, we're not willing to wrestle with. Here's something for free. God is okay with you wrestling. But he's not okay with you just straight up ignoring it. This is why the scripture says you break one law. It's like you break them all. Now here you go. Let's keep going. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I just love how Paul just put that there. Like, 
blessed forever. Amen. In case you haven't missed, if you missed the past few verses. Exchange the truth of God for a lie. Again, I'm asking you, look at the scriptures, look up at society. When we eliminate God and his law from our society, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Right now, we're living off of the backs of a Christian, foundationally built society in the West. There were people that looked into the Bible and say, what would it look like if we built a society that looks like this? Did they do it imperfectly? Very much so. But they tried something that has never been tried before. What would it look like if we were to treat everybody like the Imago Day? What would it look like? Justice, a correct way of treating our neighbor. There is a way that we have understood how to live in community that did not exist in past empires. Read ancient Rome. We have the documents. Read some of the stuff that was happening there. Crazy stuff. What we have done now, we're living on the last, ed, I would say the last bits of it, that in removing God, we're moving back to a place that was pre-Christian. It's post-Christian, but it was a pre-Christian era where we started, they were living in a world that was distorted and didn't make sense. That's why Paul could say that then we can read it and we're seeing the connection now. The more we remove the knowledge of God on some sort of level, it becomes a lie. It becomes some sort of amalgamation, something that doesn't actually make sense. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchange the natural function, that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Look down at the book. Look up at society. Has the Bible missed yet? The scriptures are making a claim on reality. No other ideology does this. Do you know why? We create it. We have blind spots and we're not willing to write about those blind spots. But this is different. And because of time, I'm going to jump into my next point. What I just said was a claim there. The word of God. How can the scriptures be called the word of God? Have you ever been asked that? The scriptures were written by people. 
How is it the word of God? True. How though? The dangerous question is why? We have to be able to answer it. So 2 Peter chapter 1. when the pages are stick together on you it's just okay there we go second peter 1 16 inspired by the holy ghost yes but we have to move back a few verses like we always do to get a context that peter's we get to peter's point but we have to understand the arguments he got to, to understand why he made that. So this is what he says. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when, we, when he received honor and glory from God, the Father... Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. That's God. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretations. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The Holy Spirit wrote this book. But there's a counteract to it. These people are saying we were eyewitnesses to this. This was an otherworldly experience that we were eyewitnesses to. And this is not philosophy. This is not some man-made situation. You can't fake this. You can't make this up. This is the truth. And I think what was cool here. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. That makes us ask another question. If we're talking about prophecy and if it's not of human will, then what will is it? It's divine will. How do we know for sure, even though I feel like I've given plenty of evidence, 
that this is divine. That it didn't originate from human will. Well, the first thing I would say is this scripture was obviously not human thought. Why? Human beings in the way that we operate would never write some of the stuff that we have in here. Think about it. The things that it accuses us of. Okay, let me just, let me just read it, I guess. <laughs> Might as well just read it. When you, when you actually see this stuff, folks, it's like, no way we wrote this. Four, uh, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. How many human beings are in a constant state of all of those things at the same time? Exactly. No. We're so prone to wander. Let's try something else. First Corinthians six. Verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor uh, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. What human being would honestly write this and not leave one of them out? Because we all, on some sort of level, have hit one of those. And if you say you've never, the scripture also says that you're lying. Everything listed here is so not us. It's so obvious that human beings may have held the pen, but they were inspired by something that was not us. This is just brass tacks, folks. If we're letting the scripture speak on some sort of level, I guarantee you, as I read these things out, something ticked you off. One of them. I'll keep going. These things feel natural to us. This is us. But some level, this other being that is so not us, holy in the 
truest sense of the word, unique, is calling to us and telling us the truth of our world and about ourselves. And the best we can do is create philosophies that usually has a unique bend away from our own fault. It's interesting, when you actually read the philosophies that are in the world and you see what the person that came up with, what they struggled with, it's actually pretty interesting. A lot of people, here's the thing. Personally, Karl Marx was actually characterized as a fairly lazy person. He actually felt like people should take care of him, if you read his biography. And what's interesting is he wanted to create a system where the state took all the responsibility for the people so they don't have to worry about certain things. Connections. We create things with our blind spot. We can trust that this is perfect is because God has no blind spot. Because God is perfect. He's without sin. When the Pharisees were accusing Jesus, do you remember what he said? Who, one one of you, who can accuse me of sin? Because in his mind, the minute someone sins, they're actually untrustworthy. You've shown yourself imperfect. But every word, and I'm speaking in the mind of Jesus, every word that I say, that Jesus would say, is true. You can't find fault or sin with me. Hence, I would not lie. Are you guys tracking? I would never lie. This word is the word of God. This being won't lie. This being won't deceive. At most, there's things that we either don't want to understand or it's hard to understand, but it's plain and it's true and it's trustworthy. I'll touch one more. When we think of the scriptures, when we read this, on some sort of level, it has an ability to search the human soul. Familiar verse, Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Again, Scripture is always making a claim on something. This word is able to do something that nothing else on this planet can actually do. Human beings have been trying to do this forever. 
They've been trying to legislate the change of the human heart. We've been trying to do it since when (laughs) we've been trying to do it when it came to race. We've been trying to do that when it comes to power structures. And it's something we'll always try to do. We want to legislate the human heart. We cannot. You cannot legislate out the hate of the human heart. You cannot legislate out the prejudice of the human heart. But there is one book that claims it can truly expose what the actual issue is. And on the level is almost scientific. It can split soul from spirit. It knows what is actually true and of God and knows what is not of God. This is not us. I'll finish here Isaiah 8. I think it would be fitting to end on Old Testament. Let's go to verse 19. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. This is what is cool about this verse. This is my own little commentary here. It's like a New Testament verse, but in the Old Testament. At that time, Israel should not be talking to a group of people. We would call them the occult, but these were people that were talking to the dead. Some scriptures might even call them necromancers or whatnot. But I would ask you to step back And look at the deeper meaning. How do we in our lives consult the people dead in sin about the living God? We often do that. We want natural Cures for a spiritual disease. If you're sick with something and you go to the doctor and he misprescribes you, will you get better? No, you won't. But on some sort of level, the world and sometimes us, we want to add And go to places, this is how I know people are not going to the appropriate source. When Christians say, I'm ready to manifest my best life. We laugh, but Christians say it. I can't wait for the universe to just bless me. We might laugh. 
but Christians say it. We're bringing things that are dead practice and misdiagnoses, hoping it's going to help us. But the claim of scripture is that everything in here is the correct prescription. A little bit of preach before we leave. Jesus said that he came for the sick. And it's only the sick in need of a doctor. I think sometimes us in the church, we forget that. There is one person that claimed to have the solution, the cure, the appropriate diagnosis for the sickness of human sin. Jesus, the Christ, said that he has the solution. And guess what he said? Everything you read in the law and the prophets, they speak about me. I'm going to say it one more time. The doctor, Jesus the Christ, has the solution, the cure, and the right diagnosis for our human condition. And he himself said, everything you read in the law and the prophets speak about me. So if the doctor tells us, if you read this book, you're going to understand me, then why wouldn't we call, why would not we call this book the word of God? I want to invite us as believers, especially on the the launch of this vision that we're going to be a Bible-based church. That we're going to lean into the truth that this is the word of God. And we're willing to treat it as such. That it's not a suggestion. It's not a Something you can take one verse and it give you a good vibe for the day. It's something that is literal. Something that is dangerous. Something that is so not of us. It is alien. It is not human. And it's willing to expose the heart. And your true intentions. The scripture calls it a sword. Are we willing to use this dangerous weapon? Are we willing to let it shape us? Are we willing to let others use this as a scalpel to expose the error in our own lives? This is where we're going, folks. If we legit want to be the church that I think everybody believes we can be, 
We have to align ourselves to this. Period. If you don't want to, fine, you can try something else. But I'll tell you what, you'll be back here soon. You will be. Try something else. Do enough reading and you'll find they claim to have the silver bullet and they don't. Everybody says it's critical race theory. It's this. If we have that. When you push it to its limits, it only advantages the few. This is the great leveler. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's the great leveler. That all of us are exposed to the wrath of God because we suppress the truth in our unrighteousness. That the light of Christ has come and we reject him because we prefer the darkness. That's the truth. You can try something else, but you'll be back here soon. What is the statute God has given us to glorify and enjoy him? It's the word of God contained in the Old and New Testaments. And it is the only, somebody say only. Only. Say it one more time. Only. Only. Only statute. That can guide us in glorifying and enjoying him. I want to encourage those that when they read this word and they see the disconnect in our culture and even the disconnect in our churches, I want to encourage you. Myself and my wife were talking about just where our world is going, especially here in our country of Canada. Babes, is second, second Peter what that we read from? I want to read it because wait. We were talking about it, and it just encouraged us. Second, Second Peter 2. But false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensualities and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, 
but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having them an them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual, uh, the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man while living among them, this felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds when the lord knows how to rest sorry then the lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority It's tough now, but there's coming a day. The, the scriptures calls it the day of the Lord. When it's at its darkest and it looks like we're going to lose. I believe when we're not expecting it, there's going to come a time when Jesus is going to crack the sky yes. and he will vindicate his people, his word and his name. Yes. That's the justice I'm willing to count on. If the truth is willing to come and save his people, I'm willing to bet on that day. Maybe I'll see it. Maybe I won't. Because we don't know when he's coming. But he asks us to be ready. He asks us, church, to be ready. So I want to ask you, standing on the only statute that can guide us in glorifying and enjoying him, are you ready? Or will you be found on the other side of injustice? Will you be found suppressing truth in unrighteousness? Will you be found believing and submitting to and encouraging myths of men? Which side are you on? As Matt would say, it's decision time. Everybody's faced with the truth. The rock. Are you going to bow to it or are you going to stumble over it? Let's pray.